Good afternoon and welcome on this absolutely spectacular weekend that we have been given. Uh, Glad that you're here. My name is Mike Woodruff, one of the pastors on staff. Uh, I want to extend a welcome to everybody, but a particular welcome to those of you who might be here for one of the first times. If you've not filled out the card that you see in the back of the pew, uh, if you've not ever gotten around to that, it'd be great if you did that. Let us know that you're here, then we have an opportunity to send you some updates and just uh, keep you apprised of what's going on. You can also use those cards for uh, prayer requests and uh, other things. So uh, you can just drop that in the offering a little while later. Well, uh, today we are going to finish this brief series uh, on prayer called Talking with God. Uh, This is the third week. And so... um, in the first week, I opened and I, I defined prayer as both communication with God and also an experience of Him. And then I set out about a half dozen reasons why we should pray. Last week, Pastor Garth uh, took us forward. He talked about why we don't pray and uh, why God may answer some of our prayers no. And then he also led us into the Luke passage the, the prayer that Christ taught his disciples to pray, which is the text that's sort of giving a springboard to this series. So he talked about how we pray. Uh, we're going to do something different tonight. We're, gonna, we're just going to use the whole service um, and follow the Acts model of prayer. So the Acts model of prayer, uh, the A, it's an acrostic. The A stands for adoration. The C stands for confession. The T for thanksgiving and the S for supplication, or requests, petitions, uh, intercessory prayer. Uh, this, is a, this is a little tool that many people use. I use it because it, it uh, sort of makes sure that there's a number of different aspects of prayer that get folded into uh, the prayers that we offer on an ongoing basis. So there's, there's upward prayers, uh, prayers of praise and thanksgiving. Um, and by the way, those are different so uh, prayers of praise are, are honoring God, uh, declaring God's worth. Those focus on God's character, on his nature, his holiness, who he is. Prayers of thanksgiving, which are sort of subsets of praise. I think of thanksgiving as a subset of praise. Prayers of thanksgiving are thanking God for what he's done, the prayers that he's answered in our life, the other things that he's done. So those are sort of upward-directed prayers. Inward focus comes with confession and the sort of self-examination that accompanies that. And then outward prayers are more uh, the petitions, the requests we make on our own behalf, or the intercessory kinds of prayers that we offer on behalf of others. So um, we're starting uh, the service with adoration, not just because, you know, A is first in the the word acts, uh, but for a couple other reasons. First of all, The goal here, as we begin, is uh, to make sure that we're worshiping God. We are worshipers, right? As opposed to animals, uh, we orient our lives around something. Somebody, some idea, some pursuit. We we gravitate towards it. We are are naturally, natural-born worshipers. And so we want to make certain that we are worshiping God and, and that we're doing it together. So we all get called together into this uh, time of worshiping God. And we're not calling ourselves together, right? We are being called by God to worship. And so um, I'm going to use a call to worship. We're not a 
liturgical church. We don't follow a lot of, of, of sort of standard practices that are, can be very rich and very wonderful. We, we choose not to do that. Service has to open somehow. Some services start with a song. Some start with a prayer. Some start with a countdown. Uh, we're going to start with a call to worship. And uh, the call to worship uh, today is going to come out of Psalm 33. And it's going to be a responsive reading. So I want to invite you to stand. And then um, we'll read this responsively. And then uh, as soon as we do, is that, is that up there? It is. So I'm, oh, wow. Okay. Let's hope that my version and your version are the same because I can't see that. Um, so uh, after this uh, corporate call to worship, we're going to have a song or a hymn of praise and then also sing the doxology, all as a way of sort of orienting uh, our, ourselves. So let's read this together. Psalm 33. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-stringed lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord, right is true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love passage of mine. Uh, as you may know, this is uh, the prophet Isaiah. And, and he, he says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He describes this, this remarkable opportunity that he has. He's pulled up into heaven. And he says, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs. These are angels. Above them were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And, and so he's just, this is just this unbelievable scene that he sees. And it says, At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple filled with smoke. And Isaiah's response is to say, woe is me, <laughs> because I am a man of unclean lips. Like, having just seen God, right, he's got this amazing response, which is like, oh my goodness, God is bigger than I thought. He's more holy than I thought. He's more, he's more amazing than I thought. And then his next response is, and I'm more sinful than I thought. I'm more broken than I thought. I'm not worthy to be here. Oh no, I'm in trouble. I can't even be in his presence. And so, so praise done right, right? Seeing God for who he is, getting a glimpse of him leads us pretty naturally into uh, a time of confession. Now, we don't simply pray or we don't simply confess our sins because we realize that we're broken and, and we, we see how desperate we are uh, for, God to, uh, for God to forgive us. We also confess our sins because it's a great privilege that we have, right? Christianity is the only religion that takes sin seriously. And, and as opposed to the, what we see modeled generally in the world, which is either to just sort of dismiss our sin, right? Oh, it's no big deal. I'm, I'm a good person, and God is loving, and he doesn't expect anything different. This is, a, this is an attitude very different from what we find in Scripture, where sin is a big deal. And, and you see people rem- just amazed at, at God's willingness to be gracious and to forgive sins. So we've got that model. And then we've got another model 
more popular even in, in the last uh, 10, 15 years, which goes beyond that, which is to say, not only am I going to dismiss sin, I'm going to say, well, look at me. Right? I mean, we want everybody to have high self-esteem. We want every, every child uh, to win the trophy. We want every job title to be inflated. We want everybody to feel good about themselves because that's what's going to be important. Right? Well, that's not what we see um, in Scripture. The gospel does not say, I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay. The gospel says uh, we're profoundly broken, damaged. Uh, we're rebels. Right? It's, it's not just that we're mistakers, right, that we've made some mistakes. It's that we have committed sins of commission, right, doing things we've, we've, we've done things that we shouldn't have done, and we've committed sins of omission. We've not done things that we should have done. And so we are, uh, we are rebels. And, uh, and in prayer, we come before the Holy Spirit, and we ask that he would guide our thoughts, and that we would not just in a broad, generic, big brush kind of way, say, okay, God, I'm not who I could be, and I've got, I've got some pride issues, but that we would actually be reminded of specific sins in our life, things that we have done or, or things that we didn't do when it was clear we should have done them, and uh, that we would confess this because the good news is when we confess our sins, then we're forgiven. See, if your problem is mistake, if your problem is low self-esteem, I got nothing for that. Uh, if your problem is mistakes, yeah, got nothing for that. If your problem is sin, okay, we got something for that. And so we confess our sin. Now, by way of a brief time out here before we go into a time of reflection and confession, I want to I want to be clear that that although we are looking for God to bring things to mind that we're going to confess, very specific things, um, if you've come to faith in Christ, right, if you've repented, if you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, right, then we get adopted into the family. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit. There's a, there's a big transaction, that, that uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21, that big transaction where, where Christ takes our sin and gives us his righteousness. And so, if, if you die, right, without having confessed some sin, it, you're, you're, not, you're, you're not damned, right? Those sins are all forgiven. But just as we can be adopted into a family and then be estranged from uh, our parents, right, uh, and, that, and, and we need to confess in order to make those relationships right and everything they can be, uh, we confess our sin to keep that relationship going forward. And if we do this right, um, there's just... There's great freedom and release and joy that comes from knowing he knows the worst about me. And he loves me. Right? I don't have to hide this stuff. I don't have to act like I'm better than I am. Right? I have looked my sin in, in, in all its ugliness. I have, I have owned it. And, and I have heard the gospel proclaimed over me again, right? The, the, the assurance of pardon that my sins are forgiven. So it's, it's remarkable. I was reading Psalm 51 this week. It's, the, it's the, the psalm, it's the prayer of confession that David, King David, prays after uh, he's guilty of adultery and murder. Uh, Nathan the prophet confronts David. David is, has has slept with Bathsheba, who was married to Uriah. And then in, in an effort to cover up his sin because she's pregnant, he has Uriah killed, 
ultimately. And uh, David confesses his great brokenness and his sin. And I just struck again that uh, this, I mean, David's a, David's a hero. He's, he's, a, he's a politician and a rock star at a level we don't understand. He's a, he's a military leader. He's a poet. He's a, he's, he's a worship leader. He's a great statesman. I mean, David does it all. And uh, he's king. He could have kept his sin quiet. And at the very least, he could have kept his prayer of confession out of the book. <laughs> so that after this, people wouldn't be reading it and remembering who he is. But no, that's, that's, not, that's, that's, our, that's our tendency is to try and hide and suppress and act like we're better than we are. And David is just modeling, no, man, I'm, I'm actually I'm pretty bad. But when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So we're going to take just a, a minute here. Uh, I'm going to invite you to, uh, to, to pray privately. Uh, we're going to have some music playing. I'm going to give you about a minute. And then I'm going to invite you um, to stand, and we're going to read corporately, collectively, we're going to read a prayer of confession. So let's, uh, let, let, I'll set up this prayer. Let's... Um, Heavenly Father, we come to meet with you now, asking for a little um, insight into the dark corners of our heart. Holy Spirit, help us see ourselves more in light of truth. now to stand and to join with me in a prayer of confession. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We're truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and with you in the glory of your name. Amen. Hear the assurance of pardon. It comes from John's first letter. And he writes that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. You may be seated. We, knew, we move now uh, 
from adoration and confession into thanksgiving. Uh, As I've already mentioned, this is a subset of praise, giving thanks. And I hope um, that you see how naturally it fits um, after confession and an assurance of pardon, right? We start with the big picture of who God is, and that gives us some energy and some awe, but it also leads to an awareness of our sin, which leads into a time of confession. Um, Then, having confessed our sin and, and hearing again and being reminded again of the good news of the gospel, right, that it's not that we're good enough for God to love us, but God loves us because that's who God is. And, and realizing that we have forgiveness of sins and, and eternal life, that, that should, you would think, that would lead us naturally into a time of thanksgiving. Uh, tragically, it doesn't always happen that way. Um, prayers of thanksgiving are a little bit unnatural. Prayers of confession will happen because life will happen and occasionally will almost all of us, unless our heart gets too hard, we will uh, realize that what we've done is wrong and we'll feel some sense of guilt and shame and we'll ask God for mercy. And, uh, and petitionary prayers will happen because a crisis will happen to us, uh, to those we love. Somebody's diagnosed with cancer. Somebody loses their job, right? I mean, there's a crisis that goes on. So we're going to pray generally, left on our own. We'll, we'll confess uh, and we'll also ask God for help. Uh, thanksgiving, unfortunately, doesn't naturally follow. In Romans uh, chapter uh, 2, um, Paul writes about this, and, and he says that you would think, well, I had it, I ripped it out here, okay. Paul is talking at the very end of chapter 1 about um, how we have hard hearts. And then in chapter 2, he says, uh, excuse me, chapter 1, verse 21, he says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. Okay? So when things go well for us, what we generally think is, well, of course they're going well for me. I'm a good guy. I've worked hard. I'm dedicated. I put in the time. This, this is what happens when you work hard and you're a good person and you're smart and you're industrious, right? These things should happen. As opposed to saying, I'm thankful to the blessings that God has given us, we simply take credit. This is one of the results of sin. We're so desperate to feel better about ourselves uh, than we might that we just, we always spin it that way. We're never quite as thankful as we could be or should be. If we, if we stopped and realized again that we owe God our next breath, right, and that without him we got nothing, right, we would be thankful for the things that he's given us. And so um, let's just take a minute, just a quiet moment here, uh, and I just want you to think about some of the things that you can just quietly, silently say, God, thank you for this. Thank you for whatever it might be. Well, we are staying in, uh, in an attitude of thanksgiving as we move into the offering. And, and I, I hope that perhaps this makes a little bit more sense than it might 
um, initially. But just as adoration led into a call to worship, there's a sense in which thanksgiving uh, leads into a time of, of giving. Um, now, it's, it's hard to really have that mindset. It's hard to understand that the offering is a time of thanksgiving if we start with the premise that what we have is ours. Because if what we have is ours, then, um, then we're sort of being obedient, we're being good, we're, some would think we're sort of buying some goodwill from God by giving money. Um, th- that's not actually the way this is designed to unfold. We start with an understanding that everything everywhere belongs to God, and we are, we are simply temporarily entrusted with some of his resources and expected to use it in ways that reflect his vision, his values. And, uh, and we give out of the first fruits of what we have as an acknowledgement that it's all his. And so it's an act of worship. It's an act of thanks that he's entrusted this to us. And uh, so, so that's, that's what goes behind uh, tying the offering into thanksgiving. So um, we're going to take the offering in a second. Let me pray for us before we do that. Father, we thank you for the remarkable privilege, again, of coming into your presence through Christ, um, drawing near to you, and, and not just being able to talk with you, but also to experience you in a, in a different, more profound way. Um, we praise you. We have confessed our sins. We've expressed some thanks. Um, certainly, we want to acknowledge that, that the world we live in is broken. We think of Nepal, we think of India, and the devastation there, and pray. Um, we hardly know what. Uh, for those who are trying to, um, to intervene, we thank you for them. We pray uh, for some uh, semblance of calm and uh, for wisdom to know how to help. Uh, think the same about Baltimore. We Uh, confess that we can find ways to get sideways with each other over things that don't matter and to not see the image of God in others. And we, uh, uh, we confess that as sin and pray. We could see each other as you see, uh, as you see each person. And, um, so we pray for calm and we pray for progress and we pray for, um, we just, we, we, we want to, we want to live in a world where people flourish and we want to be part of that. And we believe that, uh, that, that that is clearly what you want and that your gospel leads to that and that your law helps uh, direct us to that end. So we pray for flourishing. And uh, we pray that you would use these, uh, these gifts that we're giving uh, to that end, um, that uh, your work would be done around the world in your name to your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Earlier I mentioned that... Uh, there's not a lot in our life that when it goes right or when it happens, it, it automatically drives us to thank God. We often um, just take too much credit for the things that go well. This table that we come to now is, um, is a profound exception to that because there isn't any way that we can understand what goes on and not be thankful. Uh, we're continuing in this whole idea of thanks as we come to this communion table. Uh, I said earlier as the assurance of pardon, I, I recited 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. 
I've pointed this out before, but I just know that this just flies over most people's heads. The passage does not say that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and merciful and will forgive us of our sins. He's not being merciful. He's being just. And he's being just because if we confess our sins, if our sin has been given to Christ, then Christ already paid the penalty for it. And so it would be unjust, it would be wrong for God uh, to hold that sin against us. Jesus already settled that account. So if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins because Christ paid for that at the cross. And we can, getting a glimpse of that can lead us to no response other than to be thankful for what Jesus has done. So we come to this table um, at Christ's direction, and he instructs us to do this, to repeat this, to, to remind ourselves of the death of Christ. We see it as the pivot point of history, that God entered the world and that he, he not only lived among us, not only taught, he not only modeled how we're supposed to live, but he died for us. And in his death, he bore the sin uh, of his people on the cross. And so uh, the communion table at Christ Church is open. It means you don't need to be a member of this local congregation to participate. You need to be a Christ follower. And uh, we're going to, I'm going to pray for us in just a second. And uh, we come to this table with some sense of reverence and awe and amazement that God would do this for us. And uh, out of great thanks to Christ who would go to his death uh, on the cross for me and for you. And so the elements will be distributed. I invite those who are going to uh, distribute the communion elements to come forward. They're going to be distributed. Take both the bread uh, and the cup and then hold them and uh, use that time uh, of reflection. I'll come back up and lead us to collectively participate. So let me pray again. Father, as we come before you again uh, tonight, uh, it's, it's again our hope that we would just see ourselves a little bit more clearly and that we would be more amazed of who you are. And Lord Jesus, that we would have a little bit richer, deeper appreciation of what you've done on our behalf. So um, guide us, Spirit of God, during this time. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. The Apostle Paul is the one who coaches us on this. He was not there at the Last Supper where Jesus changed everything, changed this thousand-year-old tradition called the Passover and turned it into something we now understand as Holy Communion. But he reports to us what took place on that night, and he said that that Christ, uh, after he gave thanks, he took bread and he broke it, and he said, this is my body given for you. Take and eat. In like manner, after supper, Christ took the cup, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink this in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat of this bread or drink of this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. We now move to the final um, letter in the acrostic, Acts, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving. It's now supplication uh, or requests, um, petitions. Supplication is not a common word, but it just means this is making our request known to God. This is in one sense prayer at its most primal. It's most elemental. It's a, it's a cry for help. Uh, it's a cry for help for us 
or uh, those we love, those that we are around. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, it's simple at the one hand, but um, sometimes looks can be deceiving. In James chapter 4, we're told that um, we do not have because we do not ask. And he goes on to say, and when you do ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. So he's saying you, 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 you don't ask God for the things that you're after so you don't get them. Or you ask, but you ask with the wrong motives. Um, one of the ways that we jump the tracks here is that we don't uh, understand how much we need to want to want the will of God. Okay? Um, petitionary prayer is, is something, um, it needs to move beyond something that is simply us telling God how to do his job, right? How to run the universe. Now, I don't want to say that we don't pray for our heart's cry, whatever that is. Even sometimes as we pray it, we'll recognize that it's not the right thing to pray or that that's a selfish prayer. But I don't want to say we don't pray those things, but I just want to say we, we go on and follow the example of Christ who said, nevertheless, right, not my will but your will be done. So I don't want to do this. That's what he says at the Garden of Gethsemane. <laughs> I don't want to go to the cross. If there's some other way that you can come up with, uh, let's go with plan B. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And that's, that's just got to be part of the way we structure our prayers. Um, there's a great book by C.S. Lewis called The Great Divorce. And in it, there's this bus that leaves hell and goes up to heaven. And uh, all the passengers on the bus, uh, for the most part, they don't like heaven. Because it's too, um, it's just too different. It's too real. In hell, they become just wispy, vaporous kinds of uh, self-consumed people. And they can't see the beauty of heaven, and they can't see the reality of heaven. And heaven is very real and very robust. And one of the things that they, they one of the first things they don't like about heaven is that uh, they weigh so little and, and, heaven is so real that they walk on top of the grass and the grass just pokes their feet. They can't bend the the grass blades down and so their feet are always bleeding and they're like, I don't like this place. I can't walk on the grass. So it's typical Lewis, very uh, imaginative. But there's this great line, sort of the center of the book and it uh, and and I'm not going to defend it in all of its theological nuances but it's it's why the people um, it's why the people are in hell, is sort of the way Lewis describes this. Because he says, in the end, there's only two, there's only two requests that are going to be answered. People who say, God, your will be done. And people to whom God says, okay, your will be done. Right? You don't, you don't want what you need. You don't want what is real and robust and rich. So have what you want, right? I mean, again, I'm not going to defend all the nuances of that. But I think it is a great reminder that we pray, right? Father, this is what I want. And we're very specific, right? Again, just, just, just with confession. Don't make this a generic, bland kind of thing. I mean, don't use filler words. Um, you know, I was thinking about hot dogs today, right? I mean, who wants to eat hot dogs? Who knows what's been stuffed in there, right? It's just all filler, 
right? God doesn't need filler, right? Pray for what you want or be silent in his presence, right? You don't have to fill it with bland religious talk. So pray for what you want, but, but pray for the ability to want God's will, right? To be, to be shaped and moved in that direction. And by the way, I, I think we got to pray this way. I don't know how, I don't know how we could be anything but paralyzed. If I thought that God was going to answer my prayers exactly the way I pray them, I'm not sure what I could pray. Because I've prayed some really stupid things in the past. So what we want to know is that God hears our prayers. And somehow they're important to him. And we're told that throughout Scripture. But we also want to know that God is going to edit our prayers and say, you know what, if you, if you really saw this clearly... You'd be asking for this, not this. I'm going to give you what you actually need and what's best for you, not what you're asking for right now. So um, we're going to go into a, a time of, of um, petitionary prayer. And just silent. I'm not going to ask you to pray with people around you. But just bring your requests. We've, we've spent some time in adoration. We've spent some time in confession and in thanksgiving. We're moving now into supplication. So bring your request to God. And then uh, the, the worship team is going to take us out of this time of prayer as we sing together the Lord's Prayer. So, Father God, hear our prayers now. Well, when this series began, I said it is my hope and prayer that the net-net on the end is that you would pray more. And if that happened, consider it a win. So there's your assignment. Pray more. Acts is a great little guideline, helpful guideline, for the ways to pray up and reflect inward and then uh, pray outward. Uh, you have an opportunity, by the way, this Thursday is National Day of Prayer, and there is a prayer service time uh, Thursday, May 7th, 7 p.m. at the Crossroads campus. Um, I'll just remind everybody, as I reminded, called all three of my boys this week and said, I'm just telling you, Mother's Day is not this weekend, but next weekend. So it's now next weekend. So Mother's Day is next weekend. Let nobody be caught unawares. Uh, we'll have special... Um, special gifts for moms next weekend. Uh, We're moving into a new series now called Greater Than. Uh, This just continues in our study of Luke. Um, So actually, we've got a special Mother's Day service with Mary and Martha, and then we'll begin this series called uh, Greater Than. Jesus is greater than fear, greater than death, greater than religion, greater than anxiety, uh, greater than evil. So that is uh, coming. Lots of options for kids in summer camps, uh, and adults to serve at summer camps. There's sign-ups out in the lobby, and there's Route 66 tonight. Now may the love of God the Father, the grace and the mercy of his risen Son, our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus, and the life-transforming fellowship of the Spirit of God be and abide with each and every one of you, now and always. Amen.